On episode 32 of the Violence Design Lab podcast, I'm continuing my series of style seminars to help you craft the violence that fits the genre of the show and to deliver the tone you're going for. This week, historical drama. What the heck is that? Out swords and to work with all. Welcome to the Violence Design Lab podcast, putting the science in theatrical violence. Now here's your host, David Barefoot. Greetings once again, David here, designing theatrical violence for live theater since 1992 and the mad scientist of the violencedesignlab.com, I am your virtual fight coach, an online stage combat mentor here to encourage you to improve your stage combat, to coach you to choreographing better fights, and to train you to tackle the challenges of theatrical violence design. So we're back once again with our style seminar. This week I'm looking at historical drama. Well, what does that mean? Well, first of all, I'm going to start by telling you what it's not. I don't mean anything simply set before 1980 or anything that includes swords, although it does include both of those things. There's a lot of plays in a category that Netflix might categorize as a historical drama, but they're really not the style as I'm going to explain it today. Often these shows, even though they have swords or they're set in the Civil War or they're in a period that we could define as a historical period, really fall under the style of Hollywood swashbuckling or comedy or even occasionally gritty realism like I'll talk about soon. It's all about the tone and the emphasis and you've got to be able to figure it out what it is that you're going for. So, historical drama. What is it then? Well, first of all, it's historical. I know, brilliant, right? It means the play is set in a period of history that is no longer considered modern by most people. That can mean everything from the Roman era to Civil War or plays set in the Renaissance or Vietnam or the Battle of Agincourt, etc., etc., etc. A lot of you know Shakespeare's plays fall into this. However, keep in mind, the production doesn't have to be set in the same era as the play was. So there are times when we'll be doing Hamlet and it's technically not a historical drama because they're setting it in 2017, for example. Uh, so we have to be able to set our production in a specific real-world historical period that we, and be able to define that period both in range of years and geographical location. Because if we can't do that, I have done shows that are set in what's called an amorphous time period, vaguely World War One to Vietnam-ish. And so with that, the history part of historical drama is right out. We're basically creating a fantasy world that pulls elements from uh, various parts of history, different geographical locations, and then it's sort of up to you as a design team to figure out what that is. But then you're out of the, the style of historical drama. So things you look at uh, something like Game of Thrones, for example. It seems historical, but obviously it has no real-world correlation, uh, and it's not definable like we can look at it and go, well, it's medieval, or it's it's even Renaissance, because obviously there's no real cor correlation. And the genre of its violence ranges from gritty realism or shock to, you know, swashbuckling with, with dragons. So, cool. The other thing about a historical drama as a style is... The mood of the play is mostly serious. I guess that's the drama part uh, of the title. 
the the things that we're talking about, the actions, they're they're life and death, countries rising and falling, love won and lost, you know, big stakes, but they're believable situations and actions. So Lord of the Rings, while again it seems historical, and it is certainly serious, but the situations and what's going on are not believable in terms of real-world history. We don't hopefully have Balrogs attacking us on the freeway. You know, if I was doing a historical Robin Hood, you know, Robin Hood splitting the arrow would be out of place. It's a little too far-fetched, a little too superheroic for us to buy. Now, if in that shooting contest he turned and fired the arrow at Prince John, well, that'd fit right in. Then we'd just have an Archer story, and uh, but it'd be a very different show. It wouldn't be the swashbuckling style that Robin Hood is usually set in. So I want to look at the elements of historical drama. Uh, there's really three main ones, and these are going to affect not only how you choreograph, but even your entire role on the production team. So let's go through these. The first major element of historical drama is that it is focused on character relationships and interaction. And you might say, well, duh, aren't aren't all plays about that? Well, n- no. If you look at Hollywood swashbuckling, for example, there's only usually a few relationships in the story that are fully developed, you know, between the hero and the villain, or the hero and the love interest, maybe the hero and her sidekick. And that's really about it. When, when that heroine is wading through 15 moot guards, we don't care about the guards' motivations or their family lives or how that's going to affect the balance of power in the kingdom. It, it doesn't matter. Those relationships aren't as big a deal. Uh, and the violence in a historical drama is not about cool choreography or looking stylish. Now, you can be creative, and please do, but really the fights are put in the show to develop the relationship, to showcase the relationship between the fighters. You'll notice how when Shakespeare writes a big battle scene, often he doesn't actually care about the melee. Read Henry IV, part one, right? There's this huge melee going on. We care about Hotspur and Hell, and Falstaff on there as well. There's this big battle going on, but the actual scene is with two or three main characters interacting. Shakespeare is notorious for this. Look at Macbeth, right? We're storming the castle, and there's not a single scene about how we get into the castle. There's no siege towers. There's no smashing open the gate. Suddenly, we go from, here comes the army, to, yeah, 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 there was fight, fight, fight. They got into my castle. Now I'm going to kill young Seward and then run into Macduff. And that's a hallmark of historical drama. The focus is on the relationship between the characters and how they interact rather than the big splashy fights that showcase how cool the characters are, how trained they are, how superheroic they are, and how they can mow through all these mook people. So that's, that's your big one. Yeah, you look at the tone. Does it focus on characters in the violence rather than athletics and and uh, and fight uh, style. Second thing is, you'll know you're in a historical drama when your production team is sweating all the all the historical details. If you go to that production meeting 
and the whole team is worried about getting the history right. The customer comes in and she's got books and and uh, printouts of all the uh, historical pictures of the Victorian period, and is showing you exactly how corsets are worn. And the uh, the lighting guy is bringing in some chiaroscuro, you know, <laughs> Italian prints to show how you know I don't know Rembrandt might have uh, might have lit the the uh, the scene you kind of get the feeling that you're in historical drama territory. A dramaturg on the staff, that's a big clue. If someone, if they've brought in a person whose sole job is to know about that location and that time period, you can pretty much bet you're in a historical drama. What that means is you, as the violence designer, designer, you are the dramaturg for the production or, or as my uh, my colleague Marion Langser likes to call it, a fight-a-turg uh, for the production. You are the expert when it comes to weapons and armor and fighting styles. And often the the go-to person for other re, uh, related military issues and even even social customs related to fighting. I, so I have been to production meetings where they say, okay, how did the Russian uh, army salute each other in World War One?" And I'm like, well, I'm a fight guy. I, I hit people with, with swords. I don't. And so I had to become that dramaturg. You have to go into that. And when someone asks, uh, in Burma in uh, 1880, what kind of uh, weapons would the, uh, the rebels be using? Well, that's on you. You've got to know that. And once that means you have to do your research. Please, please, please don't just rely on what you've seen on stage in other places. Now, you may have seen some wonderful productions that are historical, but all I'm saying is don't trust what you've seen on other stages or in film or TV. Don't take it at face value. Know your stuff. We'll talk later on about how close you can achieve that, how much you want to get to that, but you need to know the truth about the time and the place. By the way, this is also true even if your production is set in a different era or location than um, than the original play. You know, if you're doing Romeo and Juliet, and they've taken it out of 16th century Verona, Italy, and they've plunked it down in the middle of apartheid South Africa, you need to know both eras and both uh uh, locations and what was going on regarding fighting in both places because you have to translate you literally have to interpret the what the violence meant to the 16th century Veronese to what it means in Johannesburg and that's part of your job to do that obviously you will be working with the director uh, to bring their vision to life on it but to remain true to what the original playwright intended, you have to know what the original violence was as the playwright wrote it to be able to interpret it to a new setting. The third thing, after focusing on character relationships and sweating the historical details, the third major element of historical drama is it portrays realistic death and wounds, but it doesn't focus on it. And that's the key. The consequences of violence in this style are serious. They're real. People die. People get hurt. They get maimed. Uh, they often even suffer emotional effects for having caused wounds like that in other people. But the consequences are serious, but the graphic effects of the violence are not presented 
for shock value. Blood and wound effects can be used in historical drama, definitely. But you'll know you're in historical drama if the director's like, ah, I don't really need blood for this. Because if if you can get by with people simply falling down when they die or or use portray wounds non-graphically through bloodied bandages that are applied later or using water packs to darken areas of costumes without getting stage blood everywhere you're probably in in the uh the ballpark of historical drama the reason for that is again we're focused on character relationships and interactions we're not trying to point out how violence itself is shocking we're not trying to be as realistic and you know photorealistic i guess you might call it uh as a movie is a modern movie we're focusing on what happens in the world of the play and between the characters when people get hurt and killed also your characters in this kind of play will have what i often call normal survivability what i mean is these characters they can't take the diehard levels of abuse uh, and keep fighting. So when you are hurting your people, when you are hitting them and killing them and punching them, whatever else you're doing to them, be careful of hitting them with too much damage, especially if they, quote, shrug it off fast, because then you're running the risk of veering into swashbuckling. Okay? If you're going with historical drama, there are consequences to violence. Blows hurt. Swords and knives, they kill. And you can slide up and down the scale on how, quote, painful this is to a character, but you don't want them to shrug it off. That doesn't necessarily mean that every time you stab someone, they have to have a 10-minute death scene. Uh, They don't. But you need to walk that line to portray the violence realistically without being necessarily graphically, because this isn't about shocking the audience with gore. Now, I'm going to get to that when we do our seminar on gritty realism. I mean, this is this is where Game of Thrones tends to live, you know, when it's not doing swash. It loves gritty realism. It loves shocking you with violence. But if in standard historical drama, stay realistic with most damage. Now, keep in mind, if you are doing that, if most of your violence is... Uh, creates damage that is realistic uh, and believable for a normal human, you can use that to point up a character who has extremely high stakes by showing them fighting through a, a level of pain that would normally stop them. In other words, using rather than using the violence and a lot of brutality to shock the audience, you can use a high level of brutality and a sort of a super realistic level of damage applied to a character to show just how much that character wants to achieve their goal by continuing to struggle in the face of all that damage. Okay? So, the three major points, again, of elements of historical drama is it's focused on character relationships and interaction. It all, a, lot, a lot of it really comes back to that. Uh, number two, the production sweats the historical details, and you have become the fighter or the dramatic uh, expert on the, the weapon part of the production. And it also portrays realistic death and wounds, but it doesn't focus on them. Now, this style can be very challenging, um, because 
the first thing you're going to run into is how far down the rabbit hole do I go? I'm going to go off on a little tangent here to make an analogy. I'm a, I'm a woodworker and I work with hand tools uh, almost exclusively. I think I, I have a circular saw, but I don't use it to make furniture. Uh, it's all hand tools. Well, one time my wife came out and she looked up at my saw till, the, the rack where I have all my saws, and she counted like 13 different hand saws. And she's like, why do you need all of those? Aren't they all saws? I'm like, well, yes. But of course, I have those saws for very specific applications. This one is a fine-tooth cross-cut saw just for that finish work. This is a back saw, a tenon saw. I have rip saws, um, (laughs) coping saws, any number of, you know, flush-cut saws. All of these do slightly different things. Yes, they all cut. When I started out, making furniture and woodworking, I had, I think, two saws. I had one for cross-cutting across the grain and one for ripping with the grain. Everything got those saws. You've heard the expression, if the only tool you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. That same can be true to your with your violence design career. This is, when you start, when most of us start our careers, we have learned a couple of weapon styles. I might have learned rapier, and unarmed. So I go into that uh, that Shakespearean production, and uh, it says they use swords, and it's, we're setting our production in the Elizabethan era. So, of course, I grab the rapier. Now, the thing is, that rapier might not actually be the, the appropriate sword historically. Not every Shakespearean history uses either long swords or rapiers. When you do the the research, you find that both of those swords were used in much more limited geographical areas and time frames than we sort of project upon history today. But if all I know is rapier, then the only tool I have is that hammer. And so guess what? Nail. So the more you do research, the more you go, wow, okay, there's all these swords, and uh, how far do I go? Do I have a back sword for this guy, and then a rapier for him, and what about the, the military? And then we get into fighting styles. There's a lot. There's some fighting styles in HEMA that are popular these days, like Lichtenauer, uh, German longsword, um, you know, and there's also, you know, Fiori, um, and for rapier, you know, there's anything from Capoferra to Destreza. But keep in mind, a lot of the fighting styles that are popular with HEMA today, they were the exception historically, not the rule. Those systems give the best way to fight to defeat the common opponent, who, by definition, wasn't doing that style. So yes, you've learned your, your Lichtenauer, you've got it down, and so therefore, everybody who fights with a longsword fights in the German style of that very specific teacher and very limited, narrow uh, historical period. So how far down the hole do you go? It's it's tough because you have to learn more and more styles the more fine-tuned you want to get. It requires more skill on your part and more knowledge and sometimes even different weapons. Now, you can go too far. For example... No costumer I know who is doing an Elizabethan, you know, uh, show and putting everyone in doublets and large skirts sews them by hand one stitch at a time. 
Of course not. So those machine stitch costumes? Yes, there is a level at which they are no longer historically accurate. They may even, horror of horrors, have a quick uh, exit with Velcro or snaps or even a zipper that's hidden somewhere to let the actors get in and out of them quickly. So there is a level at which when you start getting historically accurate, it becomes too much. Now, I can't tell you where that is when it comes to your fighting. Only you can. The farther you go towards historical accuracy, to me in some levels, the cooler it is. But there comes a point of practicality where you have to say, enough, this is good enough, honestly. So keep that in mind. Part of that relates to the budget and the availability of the correct equipment. So many times you might not have the exact period accurate weapon that your show would call for if you were being exactly accurate. Now swords, fight capable swords are much more available now than when I, than 20 years ago when I was choreographing, but you might not personally own the right kind of swords and your theater might not have the budget for a big rental or even the rental house you could get them from it if you had the budget might not have what you need either since they mostly carry the kind of swords that everyone uses often because that makes economic sense for them. I mean, if you decided you suddenly you need shamshirs, Persian shamshirs to arm your 12th century, you know, Persians, you may have trouble finding six or eight of them to rent from one rental house. So it's a problem. Armor is even worse. Okay. First of all, it's not one size fits all. You can get by with some chain mail uh, hauberks, uh, some chain hauberks, I should say, or mail hauberks, um, that uh, that you can put on various actors. But when you start talking a harness made of plate, it's very quickly comes into problems with uh, different body sizes. Also, armor is very rarely available for rent. Um, you can sometimes get helmets, but most actual armor... Uh, steel armor, very difficult to find for rent. Also, pretty impractical for quick changes. Yeah, suddenly we have uh, Macbeth calling for his harness. He leaves the stage, comes back on stage three minutes later to do that scene. Uh, how much uh, armor are you going to be able to put on in that time? Probably not a lot. Not to mention that if he puts on a big helmet, which is totally historical, it's going to hide his face or at least shadow his eyes and suddenly we can't see him. It might even change whether we can hear him and that's a big problem. But of course, armor historically, absolutely essential for most combat except for civilian duels. I mean, from prehistory all the way up to present day, I'm, I'm including flak vests and uh, World War One cuirassiers and modern Kevlar, you know, Armor is standard. A lot of weapons are built either to defeat it or to take advantage of it. And a lot of fighting styles are built around it as well. How do you handle that? Guns, another uh, item that can be scarce, especially if they need to be appear to fire on stage live, because guns, they vary drastically from decade to decade, and, and even between neighboring countries or regions within a country, they vary based on their intended use, and you may not be able to get the exact gun that those characters would have. Uh, especially if, it, again, if it needs to fire or you need multiples of it. Sometimes you may need to get something close or clue something together that makes it look like essentially what you're talking about. Just recently I did a, um, a Pocahontas musical and had to sort of 
tweak muskets that, of course, came with the uh, percussion cap uh, lock, a percussion lock. I had to kind of tweak it to make it look more like a match lock uh, because percussion caps were 200 years too late. You can do those kinds of things sometimes and get by with it uh, to, to get what you need. So we have the problem of, you know, how far down the rabbit hole you go, and it's, that's often modified by the, the budget or the availability of correct equipment. But the other hurdle you're going to hit is the spectrum of how accurate you can or want to be versus what the audience expects. It's the debate, do I educate my audience or do I entertain them? You see, because of movies and TVs and, frankly, often a lot of plays, the audience has certain expectations when they look back at historical eras. You know, when we see medieval or Viking shows, we expect to see a lot of black leather doublets and armor, with, you know, especially with metal studs, even though much of that is complete crap historically, whether because of cost or simple impracticality. It wouldn't work. But we expect to see that. When we see that, we go, yes, right, that's, that's what a tough medieval fighter would look like even though mostly they're going to be in a basically wearing what would look like a quilt, like one of those quilted moving blankets with arms, right, as a gambeson. That's much more historically accurate. But, we're, but we look at that and go, well, that doesn't look cool. That doesn't look like he's, you know, this, this, this tough guy fighter wearing black leather, even though the dyeing leather black was a very difficult thing to do and etc 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 so the balance in this equation the fine line you have to walk is if you give audiences the incorrect thing that they expect to see they'll accept it as true but you know you're not being as true to history as perhaps the rest of the production is and also for some of the knowledgeable people in the audience it will ring false when they see it i know several customer friends who just hate watching a lot of shows because they're like, what is that? That wouldn't be there. That's not a, it's 150 years too early. Um, the other, and the other side of the, the pendulum is if you hew close to the historical fact, but the audience sees something they completely didn't expect, it can honestly jar them out of the world of the play until, well, and honestly, unless they go look it up and find it that it was right. You, you might look back and, you know, in that, um, colonial American thing and see somebody with dark glasses, like sunglasses, and go, oh, that is so not right. And then you look at me and go, oh, wait, they actually, they had that. Okay, never mind. You know, we, <laughs> some, your audience won't always want to go look it up. They may just give you grief and go, oh, that was so not right. And in fact, it was exactly right. Um, so, but the problem is, so you can jar them out of the play by showing them things they they don't expect, but we can't change that perception by continuing to give them false perceptions. So that is something that you have to figure out where you want to land when it comes to unexpected historical facts that uh, that we perceive differently in the modern world. Now, in our style seminars, I often talk about what tone a particular style uh, creates. And honestly, historical drama... This is the closest I can come to a a default theatrical violence style. Historical weapons, historical fighting styles, real wounds and consequences of violence while maintaining safety, creating effective illusions. I mean, this this should be our bread and butter. The basic tone of the violence is, you know, violence is dangerous. It's about 
really about people who are ready to hurt others and risk hurt themselves to get what they need. And that the real tone is really based on human interaction and the characters of the play. And you have to decide now, what do I want to tell audiences about these characters? And this is where you work with the director and the actors, perhaps, to figure out what you want to say about individual characters uh, using the historical drama style. So to sum up, this episode's you know, about time to wrap up. Don't assume that a show style is historical drama just because it has swords or just because it's set 100 years ago. Figure out based on the tone and how the production team is approaching the history. But once you realize it is historical drama, you have to become a dramaturg or a fighterg, a historical scholar on that era and that location. You need to to have a working knowledge of the weapons, the armor, fighting styles, the social customs, and the perceptions of violence from that place and time. And lastly, you have to balance what you'd like to do with what you can do with limited rehearsal time or actors who have never trained in that fight style before or weapons that are difficult to get and how much you want to educate the audience or entertain them. Obviously, we try to do both, but sometimes you have to make a choice. Well, if you found this podcast useful, please let others know about it. Share it on Facebook and then head over to iTunes and subscribe to the show and leave a review on the podcast page. I'd appreciate it. It really helps me move up the rankings and other people to find the show. And hey, did you know this show has a Patreon page where you can show your support in a tangible way? Go to patreon.com forward slash violence design lab and pledge a few dollars a month to keep the show going like Marcus and Stuart and Brendan and Melissa have done. Even even a couple of dollars a month is really appreciated. It, it defrays the cost of the web hosts and it, it's a really a tangible way to show that you value the content you're getting week after week. Thanks in advance for your support. I'm really excited about the feedback I'm getting and I hope to keep this podcast going for some time to come. Well, until next week, keep the fights on stage and peace in your life. David, out. Thanks for listening to the Violence Design Lab podcast. For more tips, tutorials, and downloadable resources, visit us at violencedesignlab.com. 